0: On the screen, I have a picture of a painting, an artist's depiction of a woman, and I would argue that this lady, this woman, is one of the most influential women of the 17th century. She never wrote a book. She never held political office. She would, in the world's estimation, not be a significant figure, but this is a painting of a woman by the name of Susanna Wesley. One of her biographers wrote this, and I quote, Although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because two of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, as children, consciously or unconsciously, as children consciously or unconsciously will, applied the example and teaching and circumstances of their home life. I remember a quote that says, Next to God, a mother's influence for good is the strongest known on earth. And here is a woman that raised two spiritual giants that changed England. And this woman was a praying woman. She prayed for her children, and she had this philosophy. This is a quotation from Susanna Wesley herself. She says, Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God takes off your relish for spiritual things. Whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is a sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. This is a godly woman that raised up these spiritual giants, and one of them is John Wesley, a reformer in England. And there's another biographer commenting on John Wesley's life. I've shared this quotation before. Wesley wore plain clothes, preached 40 1000 sermons during his lifetime that's a lot that's more than one a week if you do the math traveled 250,000 miles on horseback preaching he married at 48 worked with 15 different languages at the age of 83 he was angry because his doctor wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times a week at the age of 86 written in his journal are these words laziness is slowly creeping in there's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5:30 in the morning This man was a reformer. He was driven. He was raised by a godly praying woman, and he stood up in the breach at a point in England's history when England had fallen to its lowest depths of degradation and depravity, and I have this book in my library. It's out of print, a rare copy, and I was able to obtain it by the grace of God. It's entitled, England Before and After Wesley. It gives the history, England before Wesley, depraved, degradation, morality had declined to the lowest depths of any Christian nation, one historian had wrote, and then Wesley comes on the scene, and he was in college at Oxford University, he was a believer in campus ministry, amen? Him and a few of his friends got together and said, we have a burden not only for Oxford, we have a burden for England. George Whitfield, another reformer, was a part of that group, and in that close-knit community of fellow believers, they started to pray. They started to pray for England. They started to pray for revival and reformation. They started to pray that ethics would return to British society, and from that place of prayer, England was shaken to the very foundations. Historians argue that before Wesley was on the scene, England was at a low point morality of morality, and after John Wesley's ministry, this is what happened. England was revived. Prisons were reformed. Slavery was abolished. The educational system was rehabilitated. Christian ethics were reinserted into society, and England found its soul. One man stood in the gap, prayed, and England was shaken to the very foundation. And I remember this quote from Review and Herald, April 23, 1889. By your fervent prayer, you can move the arm that moves the what? That moves the world. And so we continue in our two-part series on prayer Another quotation before we get to the heart of today's message. Revivals are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. When the Sunday school teachers of Tannenbrook prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of soul winning. And I believe what you're witnessing today, the baptism of Phil, these things do not just happen, friends. It's not as though someone's walking along and they fall into the baptistry. Oh, they're getting baptized this Sabbath. There is a series of events that took place up to this moment, and I believe that five years ago, when a group of individuals started to pray in this church for revival, that the fruits of what you're witnessing today came from a place of prayer. Because at the heart of every spiritual revolution is a group of people or a person of prayer. I'd like to talk a little bit about personal prayer this morning. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. The implication of this passage tells us that we're not only to pray in the morning, but we're to pray throughout the day. This is not to say that we're always to be in the posture of prayer on our knees. It's telling us that we're, into be the, we're, into, we're to be in the attitude of prayer as we go throughout the day. Another Christian writer wrote, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is so essential that it's like breathing physically, and I want to read this quotation from Gospel Workers 254. It says, prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. Neglect the exercise of prayer or engage in prayer spasmodically now and then as seems convenient and you lose your hold on God. The spiritual faculties lose their vitality, the religious experience lacks health and vigor. We know that prayer is essential, we know that prayer is necessary, but I find that in my personal Christian experience, especially early on, I didn't know how to pray. Furthermore, I found that many times I would pray the same prayer. Have you found that to be the case? Or sometimes I would even pray for a meal and and pray twice because I'd forgotten that I'd prayed before. Or how many of you have experienced this in the morning? You get up and you start praying, and then you fall asleep and you wake up half an hour later. Prayer is a challenge for the Christian, and here the disciples ask Jesus the fundamental question, Lord, teach us to pray. We need to be taught, instructed, and today I want to invite you to turn or open your your bulletin and take out your study guide. This is a brief outline of today's presentation. Up to this point, that was just the introduction, okay? So this is a study guide, and I want to model for you or go through a brief outline of one way of praying that gives structure to our prayers. If you don't have a study guide, raise your hand. Sophie has one for you in the back, and raise your hand. I want to make sure you get this. And this is not the only way to pray, but I found that this model of praying helps us Um, get all the pieces together in our morning devotional life. Now, you'll see in your study guide that there is a model of the sanctuary. And I want to read the first sentence right under the heading, Praying Through the Sanctuary. One mental picture some have put into practice is using the various parts of the Sanctuary as a way to meditate and pray. So you can add that in if you're following along in your study guide. For those of you that are watching online, we'll be posting a link of today's study guide so you can wait for it there. One mental picture, some I put into practice, is using the various parts of the sanctuary as a way to meditate and pray. So here we have on the screen a picture of the sanctuary. Now you enter the sanctuary from the right hand side and go and proceed into. The left hand side from the right. So you enter the sanctuary through the gate. The first article of furniture is the article of burnt offering. Then you come to the laver, there's water there. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then you go to the second part of the sanctuary, and that is the holy place. And the holy place has three different articles of furniture. As a table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. And then you go to the next compartment of the sanctuary, and that is the most holy place where you have the Shekinah glory and the glory of God, the ark with the mercy seat, and the, uh, the Ten Commandments, which are in the most holy place there. So you go from right to left, and this gives us a picture of. How we are to approach God, we are to go through the several different phases in particular, in this case, in our prayer, and so we enter his gates, and so we come to the first one, so this is what I do in my morning devotions on a regular basis i come into the sanctuary and this gives us a visualization of how to pray all right this is not the only way but this is one way and i find that it works for me and perhaps it can be a blessing for you so you start off your prayer you enter into the sanctuary you enter his gates and that is with praise and so here it is from psalms 100 verse 4 enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what what does it say With his praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. And so the first thing I do in my prayer, I say, I start praising God and thanking him for what he has done in my life. You ever had a friend that the only time he calls you is when he wants something? You know, how does that make you feel? Uh, This is a very important part of your prayer life. Start out thanking God. You know, we've been blessed, especially in this country And there's things, even when you're going through difficult times, that you can thank God for. So I start out and say, thank you, Lord, that I have a roof over my head. I thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. And so you start recounting areas of your life that you can be grateful for, that you can start thanking God for. So that's the first part of my prayer. I start thanking God. I praise Him. I give Him the glory for what He has done in my life so we go to the second part so you enter in and then you come to the altar of burnt offering all right so the number two you can fill it in there in your study guide number two the altar of burnt offering behold the sacrifice it says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world john chapter 12 verse 9 and so you come into the sanctuary and you come to the altar of burnt offering, and there it is that you behold the cross. You behold Jesus. You think about Jesus dying in your place. You see the prayer thought there. As you behold Jesus, the innocent lamb, suffering and dying in your place, what thoughts, feelings, and emotions about your self-filled life arise. And so this is the part in your prayer that you think about Jesus. You thank Him for the sacrifice that He's made on Calvary. You behold the ugliness of sin, yet the sin-pardoning Savior. And something happens in the prayer life. As you behold the Lamb, there's a consciousness of sin. So you come to the next part right there, the laver, and that's where we get cleansing. So this is where you start asking for forgiveness for your sins. This is an integral part of every prayer, whichever model you may follow. So number three, the laver cleanse the heart. First John Uh, chapter 1, verse 29. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you come there, you ask for forgiveness of sins, and I would recommend that you ask specifically for sins that you need to be forgiven for. Many times we ask these general covering sin prayers, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but it's important to be specific. Lord, forgive me for speaking to this individual yesterday in a certain way. Forgive me for losing my temper. Forgive me for saying this about this individual behind his back. Forgive me, Father, for this area of my life. And as we confess these sins before God, this is where we receive cleansing, all right? So we start out with praise. We behold the Lamb. Then we come to cleansing and Then we come to the next article of furniture here it is the lampstand and we come to the holy spirit and i'm going to read this in your study guide it says you are the light of the world let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven the seven branched lampstand was made out of one talent of pure gold exodus chapter 37 verse 21 and provided light for the service in the tabernacle. It was on the left side opposite the table of showbread and was a fitting symbol for a balanced life of devotion and service every believer is called to partake in. How does the Holy Spirit shine through us? The Holy Spirit shines through us through the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, Galatians 5.22. So there you have it. This is the portion in your prayer where you ask God to make you more like Jesus in character. You ask for the fruits of the Spirit. I pray this, and I say, Lord, help me to be more loving. Uh, Give me more joy. Help me to be more patient and long-suffering. Give me more kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And, Lord, help me with self-control in my life. And this term, the fruit of the Spirit, is really an agricultural term referring to the notion that the fruit is the natural result of being connected to the vine. Isn't that true? If the branches are connected to the vine, the fruit is the natural result. And if we are connected to Jesus, we will have the character of Jesus as well. Then we come to the next portion in our prayer. We come to the table of showbread. You can see it there at the top part of the screen. And this is where I pause in my morning devotions and I spend time in the Word of God. And this is found in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were joy; uh, they were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord, God Almighty. So this is a portion of our prayer devotional morning prayer where I stop and uh, I spend time in God's Word. I meditate upon God's Word. I want to read the prayer thought in your study guide, number four. Besides the verses noted above, meditate on the following verses as you think about the blessing of God's Word in your life. Give us this day our daily bread, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. All right, so this is sanctuary prayer. This gives some structure to our prayer. Then we come to the final article of furniture there in the holy place. We come to the altar of incense, and this is where I pray my intercessory prayer. Number six, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as an evening sacrifice. In the ancient Near East, incense was widely regarded as a fitting symbol for prayer. Just as the perfumed smoke would ascend, the petitioner would be reminded that their prayers should ascend to the Lord above. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, the golden altar of incense stood right in front of the curtain which separated the holy from the most holy place. This is the time in your prayer for others. Perhaps you can make a list of people that you can pray for every day, friends, family, and loved ones. And this is the time you can say, you know, who has special needs today? Is there someone that God is calling me to pray for? And I like this format of prayer because you are prepared to pray for others after you have been cleansed. And so I have a list of people that I pray for. I pray for certain people every day, and I make it a practice to go through the membership and individuals that are going through different circumstances. This is where we ask God to intervene in the life of others. So this is the pattern of prayer. And then finally we come to the most holy place, and you remember the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant is, and that is where the Ten Commandments are. And you come into this place, the Ark with the mercy seat, behold the law of love. In Romans chapter 13 verse 10 it says, therefore Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. In the second compartment of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments. Every day it will be well for us to review out lives in light of this great law of love. The Lord has already opened the gates of salvation, providing the sacrifice and cleansing water, nourishing us with the bread of life in communion with him and entrusted with his service, fully insured of our standing with God. Let us go to him so that he may sanctify us with holy truth. And so this is where you ask God to write his law of love upon your hearts. And so this is just one model of praying, and I found that it gives structure to my prayer. So you come in In your morning devotions, you start with praising God for what He has done. You enter His courts with praise. Then you come to the altar of burnt offering. You ask to behold the Lamb. You behold Jesus. You have an intimate relationship with the cross in that moment. Then you come to the laver, and that's where you ask for forgiveness of sins, specifically mentioned. You come in, and then you ask for the fruits of the Spirit to make you a better person by His grace. You spend time in the Word, you pray for others, and this is where you ask God to write His law upon our hearts. I found this works in my morning devotions, and I pray that this will be of help to you in your morning devotions. And I want to illustrate this and close with this story from HMS Richard Sr. He is the founder, director, and speaker, formerly, of Voice of Prophecy, of the Voice of Prophecy Ministry, and... The story goes that as HMS Richard Sr. was traveling, he was all over the country and he was not able to have a sustaining relationship with his son. His son started to stray from the path and go into uh, a lifestyle of of rebellion and uh, was out in the world. And the story goes that HMS Richard's son was on his way out of the house to go clubbing one night. He was going to go out to the bar And as he reached for the door, to open the door and go outside, he heard a voice in another room. So he paused to see whose voice it was, and he stopped and went closer to the other room and listened near the door, and it was the voice of his father. It was the voice of his father that was praying. And his father's voice could be heard, and he was saying the words, Lord Jesus, I want my son back. Please, I want my son back. Please save my boy. Save my son. And it was in that moment that this rebellious son went back to the door and closed the door and went inside back to his room. That moment became a life-changing moment in the in the life of HMS Richard's son, and he was converted one to the Lord Jesus and later took over his father's ministry. I want to tell you, friends, that there is power in prayer. And it's my prayer that by the grace of God, even if you don't follow this model of prayer, that you will make time in the morning with our Lord Jesus in your prayer closet or in your prayer room. This is the most important time that you can spend each day with God. Before the rush of the day, before all of the things come in your way, to to pause for a few moments and, and pray to God. And I would say that the most important prayer that you can pray, even if you're so busy that perhaps you're not able to follow the sanctuary model of prayer, please do not leave the home in the morning without praying the prayer of saying, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart today. I accept you as my Savior today. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come, him, come in. And this is the, the invitation that Jesus is giving. He's knocking on the door of our hearts, and the only way that we can allow Him in is to give Him the invitation. Now, many times I've gone door-to-door in ministry, and when someone opens the door... I do not just put my head down and walk in. I would be in a very interesting situation in that moment. He would be like, wait, wait, what, what are you doing? And as I'm selling that material, going door to door, religious material, I would wait at the door during the conversation until the magic words, or I would say the key words, you may come in. And until I hear those words, it is then and only then, that I step inside the home. This is the picture that God is giving. God is outside the door. He's knocking on the door. And the only way that He will come inside is if we grant Him access inside. Give the invitation. Give the consent. Allowing God to come inside. And I want to tell you that if you do that on a day-in and day-out basis in your morning devotions, your life will be dramatically, radically transformed. I've met individuals that are demon-possessed. And I want to tell you that this great controversy is real. A person that is demon-possessed has allowed the other power, the evil power, inside their home inside their heart. And it's my prayer today that by the grace of God, that you will not leave that decision to chance. Amen? That you will open the door of your hearts. This is a process. It's not about a track record. It's about the trajectory. And in your morning devotion, just pray to God and say, Lord, please come into my heart today. I want to give you access. I want to give you the right to intervene. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close this morning. Every head bowed and eyes closed. We gave a very simple message today about how to pray. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to make a simple appeal here this morning. We want to open the doors of the church. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the spirits leading here this morning. And perhaps there's someone here today. You have not fully accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've stood at the door, Jesus has knocked on the door, you've had a conversation with Him, but you have not given Him the invitation to come in. I want to give that opportunity this morning. If you want to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, I'm tired of playing games. I want to give you the right to intervene in my life. This is the most important decision that you can make. And I want to invite you, just between you and God, to to raise your hand, won't you? And say, Lord, I want to invite you to my heart today. God bless you. God bless you. Is there someone else? God bless you. God bless you. Is there someone else? God bless you in the back. Is there someone else? God bless you in the alcove. Eternal decisions. God bless you in the back. Eternal decisions are being made today. Someone else? God bless you. God bless you. You want to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. My second appeal is this. You have not been baptized. You've witnessed Phil's baptism this morning. And you hear the Spirit speaking to your heart this morning. And you want to respond to the Spirit's call and you want to prepare for baptism. Baptism doesn't mean you're perfect. It's the new birth, it's the new beginning, and you want to begin a new walk with Jesus. And that's your desire today. You want to say, I want to prepare for baptism. I want to invite you to raise your hand. I want to prepare for baptism by the grace of God. Is there someone this morning that wants to respond to the Spirit's voice and say, I want to prepare for baptism? by His grace. Is there someone? Just raise your hand. My last appeal is this. Perhaps as we've studied about prayer these past two weeks, you've been wrestling with God in your own prayer life. And you feel convicted by the grace of God to spend more time in prayer. And you want to commit, by God's grace, to spend more time in the prayer closet. But you need help. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as we begin this new school year, students, perhaps you want to spend more time in prayer. Our regular members, our visitors, in your morning devotions, you want to spend more time in prayer, and you want God's help. I want to invite you to come forward at this time you want to commit to spending more time in prayer, God bless you. Prayer is the breath of the soul. It's the secret of spiritual power. And you want to say, Lord, I want to spend more time with Jesus in prayer in my morning devotions. Help me by your grace and by your spirit. The school year 2014-2015, I want it to be a year bathed in prayer. our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that prayer is the breath of the soul. It's the secret of spiritual power. And this morning we ask a special blessing upon the people that have come forward today. It's only by your grace that we even have the desire to pray. And I pray this morning for every person that has come forward, I pray that you might help us in our prayer closet. Help us to be not not so caught up in the things of this world that we don't have time to spend with you. Lord, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Seal us with your spirit. And by God's grace, even as you used John Wesley, may you use us to transform our families, our communities, our homes, and Michigan State University for your grace and for your glory. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.